welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today we're going to be continuing a theme that you have heard me speak about numerous times on this show, and that is sustainability. However, today we have one of the leaders in the field internationally who has the founded the Center for Sustainability and Excellence, Nikos Avlonas. Nikos is the founder and president, as said, of the Sustainability and Excellence Center, and it's a global sustainability strategic advisory and training organization with activities in North America, Europe, MENA, and Asian regions. Nikos has been distinguished as one of the top 100 thought leaders in trustworthy business behavior by Trust Across America, an organization dedicated to promoting trustworthy business behavior in 2010. He is as well an adjunct professor at DePaul University in Chicago, one of the 10 largest and most innovative universities in the U.S., and a well-known international speaker in topics related to sustainable development and corporate responsibility, social responsibility. In fact, he just, Nikos, was just honored by uh, his outstanding work in leadership in the field of sustainability and will be honored at the National Press Club in Washington this March. So it is a great pleasure and honor to have Nikos joining me today to talk about this extraordinarily important subject as we are looking at a world that is in climate crisis, greenhouse and pollution crisis, and the way we humans behave have everything to do with the outcome of our quality of life. And Nikos, I'm so glad you're joining us here on A Better World because your topics, your values, your work is completely aligned with what it is we talk about here at A Better World. So welcome to A Better World. A pleasure to have you. Thanks. Thanks, Mitchell. The pleasure is all mine. And uh, it's, it's such a great opportunity to talk with you and discuss further key challenges for the humanity, for, for our planet today. Exactly. Well, thank you. So let's just bear down and look at, you know, the word sustainability has gotten bandied about so much, Nikos, <clears throat> over the past 10 or 20 years, and I'd rather have us bandying that word about than many others. Uh, however, some of its clarity of definition has become a little blurred. Would you please right. share with our audience how is it that you define it and how is it that you promote the principles in business and business schools where you, you work and teach. Right. Right. So first of all, the definition is not new. It's a very old definition, came back in 1987 uh, by the World Commission on, on the Environment. And it's about the, uh, it has three dimensions, the economic dimension, the uh, people dimension, and the environmental dimension. And the whole philosophy is that if, if we want to sustain our growth in the long term, we need to respect our people, we need to respect communities around us, and we need to respect the environment. Otherwise, we cannot sustain our growth in the long run. And, and, and I think sustainability is not a new concept. It's, it's out there for thousands of years from 
uh, many different, you know, older nations than the modern nations we have today. But yeah. um, due to the aggressive uh, capitalism we faced the last years, you know, there are things that um, bring back the new concept of sustainability and, and the need to address it within the current business models out there. So, excellent. So, you know, some people <clears throat> think of sustainability of just sustaining, let's say, their income over time at any expense right. to the environment or people. So there's a phrase, for instance, um, that has gained a lot of popularity, which we use a lot here, which is uh, people and planet before profits. I find that to be the most succinct way of conveying the idea, in a sense, of sustainability. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, um, the three Ps, I mean, as the people profit planet, it, it's a well-known concept which came back as a translation to the, you know, economic, social, and environmental dimension of the original concept. And and I agree. I mean, if you take care of your people, if you take care of your environment first, then you yeah. can have balanced profit. Um, but profits are the outcome of the good behavior, of the balanced behavior, and, and a responsible operation. So um, you can generate profits through energy efficiency, of course, and reducing the carbon emissions at the same time. But if you don't take care of the people, you know, communities, and be responsible with them and accountable for your behavior. If you don't be responsible in the environment, how it is ever possible to sustain your economic growth? Uh, we have seen a lot of organizations, but they face huge crises because they show completely lack of responsibility in either meeting their environmental commitments or uh, did not behave ethically to their people or to the local communities. So lack of sustainability can create huge risk for any organization today and definitely cannot be supportive to sustain its long-term growth. Absolutely. So, for instance, when you uh, go to a corporation, uh, have, <laughs> you, have you done any kind of um, consulting or advising of fossil yeah. fuel-based corporations? Of course, yes. In the energy sector, we have a lot. I have worked with uh, many of them, Fortune 500 companies in 25 countries and different regions the last um, years. And uh, yeah, carbon emissions in general is the very negative outcome of the whole industry, the energy industry as we know yes and we have done consulting we have provided them with different strategies alternatives and how they can um, reduce the carbon footprint in a responsible way yes and and so what what do you find is the response to what you are bringing forward if it suggests that uh, they should be diminishing their fossil mm -hmm. fuel business mm -hmm. and looking to diversify what what is their general response yes the general response is that uh, this is a long-term strategy uh, cannot happen overnight and, and and i agree with them actually i mean i completely agree with them you cannot change the business strategy of an organization overnight 
you need to plan for the next five to ten years. But particularly in the energy sector, which is a very, very conservative sector, to be honest with you, I have seen yes. a lot of good people, a lot of a lot of, of open minded, you know, CEOs or executives that they know what they have to do. But the only challenge they have is that they cannot do it tomorrow. They have to wait and they have to plan for the next coming years and and diversify their energy portfolio and becoming more clean and having more clean energy with less carbon emissions. So I have seen a lot of positive reaction to them in the long run and willingness to change, but not right now, not immediately. Well, you know, I'm going to pick this up here, um, and I'm going to play devil's advocate in a way by just taking a look at a couple of pieces of information. When it was discovered that Exxon had been conducting climate research and greenhouse Mm -hmm. gas research going back to the early 1970s, and then they put a lid on it and, and hid it away. And then they went on a greenwashing binge of a kind of a public relations that minimized the idea and spent millions, if not billions of dollars to hush yeah. up. All right. They hid their own really good quality scientific data. When that came right. out, okay, we actually found out another very disturbing piece of information that the United right. States government had actually been conducting climate research going back to the 1950s. And yeah. in the okay, in the late night, very few people seem to know about this, Nikos. You know, the late 1950s, we had data that showed us what would happen with an increase of carbon emissions and overall toxicity by the way it's not just carbon i think that's a confusion people think it's only about carbon emissions carbon is a building block of life itself it's not that it's the imbalance of of chemicals in our atmosphere that cannot be metabolized so and not only that let me add one more thing and then i want to hear what you have to say we have rachel carson and the silent spring that goes back decades even before that, where the research mm-hmm. she was doing out on Long Island, among marshes and frogs, you know, working, by the way, I think it was uh, for the fisheries uh, agency. And uh, mm-hmm. when she discovered what she was discovering back then, and we say we need time to plan and diversify, I say, really? I'm saying that there have been literally decades for the fossil fuel industry, as one example, to have done that planning to diversify. Your thoughts? Right. Yeah. First of all, any traditional business model, which is very successful over there, it has its resistance to change. And any information they can find against their business model, obviously they're not going to go out publicly and they're going to dismiss this information. That's my understanding. Um, yes. yes, there is. Uh, so yes, there is a lot of research out there, and I, as you know, as an environmentalist for the last 25 years, I strongly believe that climate change not only existing, but perhaps also it's too late. <laughs> 
even yeah, if right. it happened one in Paris, perhaps, and some of the scientists agree with me, it's probably too late. But yes. the interesting thing is that, and let's talk about Rex Tillerson, you know, the former ExxonMobil CEO. At the same time, he was the first to talk about the need of a carbon tax in the country. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and it was very, very interesting because, you know, the CEO of one of the communists, you know, which is a primary target for all the activists around the yes. globe, was the person that at the same time talked about the need of change in the energy sector and that the carbon tax is something very important and needs to be implemented. So what so I'm saying is that we, we have the old stories and the old behavior of the companies, but now the trend of sustainability is so strong, so global, so many things happening out there. We have the COP21 is already a huge agreement, global agreement. And already, as you probably know, don't know, the U.S. has transferred, he's going to transfer $3 billion to the fund of the, uh, the U.N. Green Climate Fund. And already has devoted part of his mandate to this fund. So already it's happening. It's going to be very, very difficult for any ExxonMobil or any other company, you know, go against this global movement. I... I honestly believe it's going to be impossible. They may delay that um, a bit, but that's the maximum they can do so far. Inekala, as we say in the old language, Nikos. And uh, I, I agree. I, I'm very honored and pleased to hear that even the Trump administration is allowing the transfer of that $3 billion to this fund after having been so vocal about just trashing the COP21 yeah. yes, and our relationship something. with them. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry to clarify something, Mitchell. I said that they have transferred part of his funds, not the whole Yes, you did say amount. that. Yes. You did say that. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, you know, one would hope that since they began the process, they will continue, but we will, we will yet to see. And I appreciate the points that you're making, and this is why in our earlier talk uh, I was talking about why I felt motivated, Nikos, to be the change agent in the world through the field of psychology, because that entire nexus of change and resistance to change is the thing that is, I believe, uh, thwarting our future progress as green renewable energy-based sustainable beings, planetarians, if you will. And that's why we need to deal with it. And I know that you're dealing with it through your means, through your Center for Sustainability and Excellence, of course. Otherwise, you know, there would be little to talk about. Yeah, the most most challenging, can can I say something? The most challenging task we had all these years is that to educate these executives in the way that they can understand that sustainability is a big opportunity for them. It's not only a risk. It may be a great opportunity to them. That was the most challenging job we have done the last years. We have educated more than 100 organizations, executive boards, (laughs) the last uh, 12 years of our operations around the globe. And the interesting thing is that after these awareness sessions, you know, to these executives, 
then the vast majority of them are very positive, which is very, very interesting. And they're very positive because they, you know, deep, deep inside, they love to be social. They love to take care of the environment. And if they can connect that with an opportunity, it's fantastic. It's, it's, it's the way forward to them. But they haven't realized that unless they have this training, this awareness session, because everybody believes that, you know, sustainability is, or CSR is about, you know, philanthropy and sustainability is just, you know, about energy efficiency and saving money. So, no, you know, if you see only these two dimensions, they're not great opportunities for them out there. If they realize yes. the real concept, then they become big fans, most of them, not necessarily all of them, but most of them. Yes. I No, I appreciate that, and I'm I'm very pleased to hear that. In fact, I wanted to corroborate something that you were saying earlier. Uh, when dealing in the energy sector, uh, years ago, I interviewed um, Hunter Lovins, um, Amory Lovins' uh, ex-wife, yeah. who wrote a book called Clap- Climate Capitalism with uh, mm-hmm. Boyd Cohen, Capitalism in the mm-hmm. Age of Climate Change. And one of the points she uh, references, because she also deals a lot in the energy sector and, like you, helps to turn them around – uh, is that Chevron, if I remember correctly, is one of the greatest purveyors in the world of geothermal energy. So here's an example of diversification that is going toward the renewable energy sector. And our dear colleague and friend, Hazel Henderson, has reminded me over and again, especially in light of the new administration in the United States, that yeah. there is a some $7.4 trillion already invested in the renewable energy sector. And as she right. reminds me, it's not going away, you know. It's only getting stronger. No. And in my work in the renewable energy and green sector, I also see mm-hmm. enormous amounts of money being invested in building a renewable energy yeah. infrastructure. And it, it pleases me tremendously to see that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the, yeah, and investors, more and more investors, they, they want to invest more in clean energy, in, in green firms, and in firms that respect the environment and the society. They're already, um, uh, in total, the signatory of firms that they account for seven, I'm sorry, $7.5 trillion in socially responsible investments or responsible investments. So mm. it, it's a, huge, it's a huge, huge trend out there. An investor community, by the way, is one of the drivers of this trend. Yes, yes, absolutely. So when you said something interesting just before, when you talked about energy efficiency as only really one of the principles of sustainable thinking, would you? What are what are others that our audience should know about? Yeah, I, I don't believe that energy efficiency is one of the main benefits for any organization. I think it's 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 an important benefit, of course. Anybody can do that, but it's part of the operational efficiency in any case, right? I mean, any operational manager has to cut their operational cost, and you know, energy efficiency is one of uh, one of them. There are so many different benefits we have seen. I mean, first of all. 
employee engagement. Um, if you engage your employees through sustainability and, and create, you know, volunteerism initiatives and for a good reason, and the motivation of employees, as we have seen working with global organizations and through a lot of research, is going up dramatically. So one main factor is employee engagement. And another important, another important factor is to improve your ratings. There are more than 20 rating indices out there that rate your performance, company's performance or sustainability. So if your performance is good, then the investors are more likely to invest in your company because you are a company with a lower risk. Um, ESG risk, as we call it, environmental, social, and governance risk. Um, also, the part of the consumers are green. There is a huge community of LOHAS consumer. LOHAS means the lifestyle of health and sustainability. Yes. And this mm-hmm. big lifestyle, and Mitchell, probably you are one of them. <laughs> yes. um, to <laughs> Guilty as charged, Nikos. <laughs> right. And, and these consumers, they, you know, they, they are very active. They love green and social products. They love social brands. And they spread the word out there to their network. So this is a very important part of the consumer community, which due to the millennials out there, and I'm teaching to them, as you know, is growing up mm-hmm. dramatically. So you have many different forces out there that makes corporate sustainability a necessity. I would say it's not volunteering anymore to 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 bring and apply corporate sustainability practices in any big company. It's a necessity to um, to uh, sustain yourself, a necessity to see the future in a, in a, in a bright way. Yes, exactly. I, I appreciate that. You know, we're on such a brink of, um, well, as you said, as an environmentalist, sometimes you put on that hat, Nikos, and you're thinking, my God, is it already too late? You know, well, well we have to then yeah. ask ourselves, late, too late for what? You know, which party are we missing? You know, it's a funny thing because there are tipping points that have been identified, of course, by a number of mm-hmm. scholars who, environmental scientists, who say that when this happens, then that happens. When the ice melts in the Arctic and the Antarctic, well, that's going to create an abundance of water, of course, in the oceans, which are warmed, which are affecting the currents, which are going to, you know, spill over on the land. So all coastal lands, all coastal cities, and most cities in the world are coastal, uh, will be at different levels, different degrees, deluged in a sense like Mm -hmm. the great flood if you will you know of biblical times and we're looking at things like that guy mcpherson who is a climatologist uh former professor at university of arizona um has actually since moved to belize i don't know if he's on high ground there but it appears that (laughs) there are a number of (laughs) there are a number of scientists who feel that the modeling of where we are is actually nowhere near what is actually the severity of what's happening. And in something that you wrote 
an article that you sent me uh, about yeah. the limits to grow 30-year update, uh, yeah. you know, says something similar. Could you respond to this? Yeah. Because sometimes I feel like we are on the Titanic and we're moving around the lounge chairs. Yes, in the reality, as you know, there is a probability rate <laughs> for every prediction, yes. as we all know. Um, yes. So um, I, I, I think that already the forces, but the, the climate forces we have experienced can create a huge damage to the existing economic model that we, that we live. And, and um, we can see and we can feel as humans that already the risk is very high. I cannot even imagine what is going to happen in, after 20 or 25 years. Mm. Yes. And, and I'm sorry, I'm not very optimistic. And, and, and the only thing I can say is that is technology is going to save us. Is new technology towards this direction is going to save us. I'm not sure. I don't have the answer. Well, we, I think we have to see that lifestyle change is going yeah. to be part of it. I, I actually think that psychological change is part of it. Yeah. We, we are, uh, as, a, as a country, uh, we certainly seem that we are addicted to this thing called money, and we will do anything for money. We will seek to preserve the bottom line at any expense. And I see this as no different than a cocaine addiction or a heroin mm -hmm. addiction for that matter. And so it seems to me that we need to take a look at that fascination <laughs> with that. And we're not, I'm certainly not interested in saying that money doesn't have a very, very important role in our society is very yeah. obvious that it has a huge role and there's no problem with that the problem is what mm -hmm. are we willing to sacrifice for it at the collective expense for the for the good yeah. of all yeah right? I mean, some some writers you know there are a lot of books about ethical capitalism or sustainable capitalism this is what yes. probably you're talking about um, you Very know, much. making money in a more sustainable way, and that's where we are Correct. right now. The uh, the aggressive capitalist model has identified that cannot sustain itself, so discover sustainability as a force to sustain. <laughs> and Absolutely. And we will find out what's going to happen. That's my personal point of view of what is happening globally right now. I get the impression also from you that you believe this idea that I certainly do, uh, which is what we could call multiple bottom lines. You basically implied that yeah. in what you were saying earlier, Nikos, when you talk about having a, essentially a, a community of employees and customers, for that matter, that are very happy to be engaged. They're happy to be productive because they're yeah. treated well, they're treated with respect. And yeah. there ends up to be other bottom lines, some of which are actually translated into money, you know, because if you have happy employees, you're going to have less sick days and you're going to have healthier employees, which means the medical expenses would also be reduced. 
So you could say yeah. that there's a level of enlightened self-interest, if you will. So while caring for others, you're actually caring for your own company. Your thoughts? Right. But there is a, but yeah, absolutely. But there is another factor as well. And um, uh, if you read a lot of research out there about millennials, a lot of executives they believe is one of the top three challenges that they have to face in the very near future. By the way, these millennials and this you know generation of young people were more environmentalist and believe in sustainability than any other generation before. How are we going to deal with them? What is going to mm. happen with them? I know a lot of people and dealing with them almost every day the last years in my life, but when they attracted by a company and they, this company provides them a lot of good money, some of them they say, oh, okay, that's fine, uh, but that's not what I want to do. That's not my passion. This is not a sustainable company. I want to be involved more in sustainability and do more in changing the planet. So yes, beautiful. this is another <laughs> big risk for the traditional business model that a lot of companies yeah. are applying today and is coming to them and they have starting realizing that, that, that how are we going to find new employees? How are we going to keep them engaged and motivated without sustainability aspect? That is fantastic. That is so interesting to hear. In other words, their motivation to change isn't only because we're not going to have enough clean air to breathe, <laughs> their, their right. children and their children's children, but also just purely on the corporate level, they are not mm-hmm. able to attract new, new uh, staff, new management, yeah. because the model is so different. Yes, and at least I have to say that the talented, you know, young people, they're not going to join their forces with companies that they do not serve the right purpose out there. And I have seen that every single day in my life. I have seen Princeton graduates, for example, you know, fantastic young people or DePaul graduates that, you know, they get the fantastic, a great offer, you know, by a very important energy company and they say, no, I'm not going to work with them. It's a dirty company. It's a very old business model. I I do not fit there. (laughs) You are making my day, (laughs) Dikos. You are making my day. That is an angle that I just do not come face-to-face with like you do. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm very, very pleased to hear this. Uh, before mm-hmm. I let you go, I'd like to uh, pick up on something else you mentioned, which mm-hmm. is the advent of new technologies. As we know, we have more scientists mm-hmm. and more technologists and more inventors than ever before right. in the history of the planet. And uh, many wonderful things are emerging as a result, many of which are about dealing with these issues we're talking about and uh, Mm -hmm. their severity of them. Are there any in particular that you were kind of thinking about when you made that comment that it could well be uh, technology helping us to reverse the trend in the ecosystem? Absolutely. I mean, uh, yeah, there is a lot of technology out there that is designated to reduce carbon footprint. 
and and change our habits and you know and change the the technology out there you know tesla is one of them yes uh, yes. Uh, as you know tesla you know is pioneering in this field and the most impressive thing is that they use solar energy in their factories in order to generate you know in order to 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 make the cars so they they use clean yeah. energy for building cars which means that it's the, the world is changing. I think there is a lot of new technology out there. The question which I cannot answer is that how fast this technology is going to be developed in order to save the planet. I don't have the answer, but I think there is a lot happening out there. How fast we're going to have the right progress is the big question, which I don't think anybody can answer that right now. Yes. Yes, yes. You know, another time uh, when we meet and have some Greek dinner in New York or something, I'll tell you about an electric... I'm going to be be there in in May, so I would love to meet you in any case. Wonderful, (laughs) wonderful. My birthday month. We'll do that. Uh, I'll tell you about an electric motor company that I helped to start that has efficiencies uh, that Tesla Motors does not have. And we've run into a couple of management issues we're sorting through right now. But uh, God willing, you will be noticing our company um, because (laughs) it has application to aviation, trucks, cars, scooters, Mm -hmm. on and on. Actually, every single electrical device, every electrical motor we have on the planet most likely marine it could be ad- mm-hmm. agricultural etc so but I, I appreciate your point and it's uh it's a good one are we we're in a sense in a race against time but i'll tell you i'll i'll leave you with this last thought it's very interesting there's a beautiful film called symphony of the soil made by deborah Kuntz garcia who is the mm-hmm. last wife of the famous rock musician Jerry Garcia of the Grateful Dead. Uh, I did an interview with her some months back in California, and she made Mm -hmm. this film, Nikos, which talks about one of the most powerful ways of creating carbon sequestration is simply Mm -hmm. by organic farming and proper care of the soil. Right. Wow. That's impressive. Pretty interesting, huh? Absolutely. In other there words, a lot of we've had very, the answer all along. There is a lot of Excuse interesting me? things out there, and and I, I'm uh, you know I'm joining as a mentor and many green startups. You know, support them. You know, to be more successful out there, and, yeah. and in many different ways. And uh, this is part of my passion. <laughs> God, uh, obviously. Beyond teaching, but I also love to educate, you know, young people, and because through educating, you know, young people and future managers, you can change the world easily and more easier than with the current, you know, managers, as we all know. Yes, you are doing such a tremendous service through that education that you are giving through your university teaching and your teaching in the corporate uh, energy sector and elsewhere, 
the principles of sustainability. I don't have words to tell you of how how thrilled I am that there are people like you doing what you're doing. It's the thing, I agree, that's going to help us turn the corner on embedding the principles of sustainability and, if you will, I'll just call it green thinking, you know, and respect <laughs> for energy, respect for the planet, uh, instead of the um, the grosser model that that does not do those things. So, uh, in right. short, in closing, what what last words would you like to share with our audience, Nikos, that you feel we should all really be aware of? Right. Yes, uh, I think we are in a critical era where the traditional business w models are not working anymore and they need to change. Uh, we are moving from the traditional capitalism to the ethical and more sustainable capitalism. And as we're moving into this new era, many things are changing. So I strongly believe that companies, global companies, or even smaller companies, they need to address that into their strategies. They need to understand that this change is going to influence their product, their services, their customers, so they have to be prepared for that. So I all of them advise to reassess and reevaluate their existing business model under the uh, comprehensive sustainability framework, which is you know, it's out there. It's the new business model, as we call it, for a better and a more balanced planet. Beautiful, beautiful. I so appreciate that. That's very, very helpful and balm to my ears. So, Nikos Avlonas, I want to just thank you again for being a guest on A Better World Radio today. And uh, we'll have you back on again to further deepen the discussion and go further. So Thank you so much, Richard. It's a great pleasure. Paragallah. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Very good. Bye-bye now. Nikos Avlonas, president of the Center for Sustainability and Excellence. And, gosh, he is doing work that uh, is just necessary for our planet to actually be sustainable now i know we had a back and forth about is it too late well you know that really needs to be deconstructed too late too late for whom too late for what well maybe too late for uh humanity maybe too late for human life but not for the cockroaches no i'm i'm playing with you you know uh there's a lot that can be done there's a lot of damage that has been done. But I want you all to please take stock and have hope in a future based on the work that that gentleman like Nikos Avlonas is doing with his Center for Sustainability. And uh, there is uh, the work of Hazel Henderson, the work of so many people, in fact, that have been on this, Bill McKibben, others, who are completely committed for decades. I know here at A Better World, I, honestly, when I think about it, I've been, I've been uh, you know, an environmentalist for over 45 years. And uh, my life and my actions, lifestyle, etc., by and large, reflect that. And God, you know, I'm only human, but, you know, we 
certainly a large group of people, you know, one time called the cultural creatives, people who were part of the voluntary simplicity movement, people who are uh, members of the Pachamama Alliance or transition towns. These are all some of the movements that are happening on the ground. There are, well, Paul Hawkins said it in his book, uh, um, Blessed, uh, what is, I'm so sorry, I'm forgetting the name of it, but it's very interesting because at the Bioneers Conference about three years ago, he spoke about this idea that, you know, that he actually researched, which talks about, well, it's bothering me now that I'm not um, remembering the name of that uh, book of his, but he talks about there being literally millions of organizations, of companies, social enterprise, nonprofits, NGOs that uh, are completely dedicated to turning this situation around that we find on our planet occurring in so many domains. The book I was referring to is Blessed Unrest. There we go. I had the, the pleasure of meeting Paul Hawken about a year or two ago in New York City when he was uh, here at a, an interesting group at Deepak Chopra's space on uh, Broadway around uh, 18th Street. Um, so, in fact, there is a swelling, expanding interest in all that Nikos was talking about, Nikos and I here, on A Better World. There really is intense interest. And it's motivated, of course, by one level, uh, by survival, but on another, of deep respect for our environment, for our planet, you could say that is deeply reminiscent of the general indigenous view of our planet, which always put respect for Mother Earth first. And that is where I feel we, were, we are circling around to. And Gos is doing this work on a corporate level to speak that language. And, you know, of course, that's a language that I have spoken to and about for decades as well. But he is on the front lines. In fact, he has just won an award. I, rec I, I congratulated him at the very top of the show uh, for his latest award, the PR News Spring Awards Luncheon at the National Press Club is honoring his work in the area of sustainability and leadership. So I, I'm just so happy about that. And this is the kind of man I like to introduce to my audience because it's this kind of modeling that we are all able to do and to fill the shoes of and walk in our own personal lives as individuals as well as in our business lives to recognize the importance of the principles of sustainability and of excellence and do and make the difference that we can. 
So I want to just thank you all for listening. Please remember that we are a nonprofit, and through your investment in us of your time, attention, and money helps us sustain. So your your gifts, your contributions keep us on the air, and they are always completely appreciated. As well, we have a ever-growing newsletter and community, a better world community. So please visit us at our website and get our free newsletter at www.abetterworld.tv, abetterworld.tv. And for uh, contributions, donations that are tax deductible, by the way, just write to me at mjr at abetterworld.net, mjr at abetterworld.net, and we'll help you make arrangements. So thank you again all. It's such a pleasure to be of service to you, and I look forward to seeing you all next week. 